If you have your Bibles, uh, take them, please, and turn to the book of Romans, and uh, Romans chapter 16. Um, I want to read a portion of that chapter uh, this morning, and uh, you'll quickly notice that as I read this text, this is not the kind of text that um, when we're thinking about memorizing a portion of Scripture, we say, I'm going to read Romans chapter, memorize Romans chapter 16, verse 3. In fact, when we come to a text like Romans chapter 16, we treat it much like we do many of the genealogies in Scriptures, you know, those lists of names. And you come to the first name and you kind of stumble through trying to pronounce it to yourself and then you just, with your eyes, you glance down and you find the last name and you stumble to pronounce it and then you keep on going. And uh, I was tempted to do that um, oh, probably two months ago when I was working my way through Romans in my morning devotions, and I started by reading the first name, and I thought, oh, it's just going to be a list of names, and uh, skip to the end, and it was like the Spirit of God said, no, go back. And I probably read it a half dozen times, and stopped on it, and reflected on it, and I thought as I was doing that, this is some great encouragement for us as a church. And so this morning, we're going to look at a bunch of names, and uh, I hope that that will be an encouragement to us. So let me read it, and we'll pray, and then we'll um, continue on. Starting at verse 3 of chapter 16, greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved, Aphanatatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. I stop there for a moment because I know there's about eight of you out there saying, he said that wrong. Um, well, you come up here and read the text then. Uh, anyhow, we, we pick up at verse 8. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Amphilatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachychus. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphinia and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegion, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Father, we come to you this morning and we are thankful for an opportunity to worship together as this group of believers. Thankful for the encouragement that comes as we sing together, as we pray together, as we give together, as we worship together, and now as we listen together. And I thank you for, again, Scripture, which... A passage like this sometimes is easy to gloss over and wonder, is it there any encouragement or help for us? And I pray, Father, that um, by the end of our time in this word, we will be encouraged by it, and we will see help in it for us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
We traditionally call this Sunday, Welcome Back Sunday. And uh, we do that because it often coincides, well, often, it coincides with the beginning of the school year. Um, Well, it's not such a normal beginning of a school year. And uh, so we say, Welcome Back Anyhow. It might be more appropriate, Pastor Barry has commented from time to time, if we actually did Welcome Back Sunday on Easter. And that's when all the snowbirds actually come back and you look out and you just see people have been gone for five or six months. That might be a more appropriate time to say welcome back. But it is an opportunity for us just to say, you know, we've been detached maybe a little bit through the summer. We've maybe been a little bit disconnected, but how do we just kind of reunite? And so that's the emphasis today is that we hope you take some time to either reunite or reconnect or to meet new people um, that you haven't yet met um, sometime today. As we look at this particular passage of Scripture, I want to make a couple general comments um, and then maybe a few specific comments and then come back at the end to three general comments um, for application. Uh, The first thing that I notice about this text as I read through it, and you might have noticed it as well, is that all of these people are friends of Paul. He's not in Rome, but he's writing to Rome, and he's he's saying that these people are all part of the the church in Rome, and I, I want you to greet them on my behalf. These are all people that, in one way or another, have a significant part or place to pay in, in Paul's life. And in many ways, they present a sort of a verbal Polaroid of some of Paul's friends. And uh, we get to look at those this morning. What's really evident quickly is, as you consider this passage of Scripture and you listen closely to the words, is that Paul enjoyed deep relationships with people. He depended upon people. He embraced the community of believers. He labored with them. He loved them. And he's not somebody that's removed from the church. He's not somebody that's high and sort of lifted up. But he is engaged with and he embraces the people of God and the family of God. And while it is true that Paul had a unique calling himself, what he, his interactions with the body of Christ are not to be unique. He embraced God's people. He didn't act sort of as a lone ranger, as somebody who was far removed from them. He realized that he needed the family of God. He realized that they needed him. And if there's anything that that we can learn from this list, even now before we go from here, is that we need one another. That we can't stand aloof from one another. That our position or our influence or our social standing in life does not allow us to separate ourselves from the people of God. We ought to create relationships amongst God's family. The second thing that I notice about this list as you read through it a number of times is is the variety in the list. It it addresses social, economic, and organizational issues above uh, maybe as, as as well as another of other things. When we talk about organizational issues, you might have noticed that at least three times it talks about the church that meets in their home. And there's probably at least two other references where it refers to a church that meets in a home. In the early days of the church, particularly in the first century, they hadn't come yet to have buildings like we have. They didn't have dedicated places like a synagogue or a temple in which they worshiped God. And so what would happen is those who had some means would say, you know what, we'll open our home. But even those with the greatest amount of means could only entertain maybe 60 to 80 people at any given time. And so in a place like Rome, you might have a half a dozen or more of these churches that would gather together independently, but they would be connected by the letters that were sent and the the, the Old Testament scriptures. And so you get a little glimpse of the organization of the church in the early century. 
Another thing that uh, stands out to me as I think about this particular passage, and some have done studies on this. I've not uh, ever done it. I've just read them. But they, they look at what people, um, what parents name their children. And they can demonstrate, and they have demonstrated, that, that people of social wealth and social status and high social status and wealth had a, had a group of names that they would use primarily for their kids. And then there would be people who were of the slave classes or of lower economic standing who would name their kids a certain group of names. It it wasn't frozen to that, but that was generally what would happen. And that's true what you see in this text here. And people have studied that. And so one of the things it reveals to us is this church in Rome was made up of people of high social standing and people of low social standing. It's a phenomenal reminder to us that the gospel crosses all kinds of barriers. And not only does it cross these social barriers, but it crosses economic barriers. That there were people of great social wealth and there were people who didn't have much wealth. In fact, they were slaves or freedmen. A lot of the names that are mentioned in this list are names of people who are in fact still slaves or common slave names. Or they are names of freed men and women who have been released from slavery, but that's the name they have. And so you see in the church again, this great mix of people who are, who are of, a, of one um, standing in society and people of another standing. What you also notice in this text is that you will notice that there are Jews as well as Gentiles. That there was a great ethnic mix in this church in Rome. And, and the final thing that you will notice, and if you had time to look at this, and you can look on, on your own, I believe there's 26 individuals referred to in the verses that we've looked at. Of those 26, 24 are named. And fully one-third of those 24 are women. Which, again, um, uh, demonstrates that the gospel is now beginning to cross all kinds of barriers. And that men and women, um, slave and free, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, are all part of the family of God. They have been reached by the gospel, and they are part of this family. It's an amazing reality, because so many of our structures, so many of our clubs, so many of our groups, in, in even a world in which we live now, are not that open. And so we see in the church the amazing reach of the gospel. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and then the Gentile. And that's one of the things I so appreciate about even Parksville Fellowship Baptist Church. That we have here people from all backgrounds, from all walks of life, from different social groupings in, 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 in society. And we meet together and we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so just two introductory points to think about. I want to just go through some of the names here. I I don't think we'll have time to go through all of them this morning. But one of the things that struck me as I started thinking about these names is that um, everybody has a name and everybody has a story. More importantly, everybody has a spiritual story. And one of the things that struck me about this passage is that Paul knew little snippets and little glimpses about everybody's name and about their story. And we'll come back to that in, in, when we come to the end. But notice he starts with Priscilla and Aquila. 
They're a, a fairly well-known couple in the Bible, a, a husband and wife team. They started out in Rome. They were kicked out of Rome when the emperor made an edict that kicked all the Jews out of Rome. They went from Rome to Corinth. They probably met Paul in Corinth, and then they went to Ephesus, and they worked amongst the people of God at Ephesus. You might remember Priscilla and Aquila as the ones who took Apollos under their wing and taught him the gospel more clearly. They were great supporters of Paul. Um, they were tent makers. And so maybe they, at the local fairs, had a booth beside the Apostle Paul, and they plied their trade together. So they were well known amongst the church. And Paul says a number of things about them. He says of them that they were fellow prisoners. Uh, That must have been an amazing story there. I don't know if Paul is saying here that they were actually in the same prison, in the same cell together at the same time, or if they shared the experience of being prisoners together. I don't think it matters one way or the other, but they shared this experience of being fellow prisoners because of their testimony in Christ. And then he says something else about them. He says, they risked their lives for me. That's amazing. I don't know where where that's referring to. Some people say that refers to Ephesus and the big riots that were taking place in Ephesus. And somehow Priscilla and Aquila did some extraordinary thing or put their own necks on the line to see Paul released from custody or saved from that mob. Nonetheless, they risked their lives for him. They had such an affection for him that when they saw him in trouble, they said, I'm going to come and help him. And then we see what Paul also says about them. He says, not only do I give thanks for them, but all the Gentile churches ought to give thanks for them. They were so well known. And then finally he says, and this also about them, greet the church in their home. Priscilla and Aquila had opened their home to the people of God. So they weren't just names. They were names with spiritual stories that the people in Rome would have known about. And then he goes on to his beloved, uh, uh, um, I don't even know how to say this. I've tried to say it over and over. I can't say it, but I think it's Aphanatus. Anyhow, Paul says about him, uh, he was the first convert in Asia. What a story that must have been. And I'm sure the church in Rome must have, must have heard this story about how Paul and Aphanatus met and maybe the circumstances around that and how Paul was teaching or Paul was sharing the gospel or maybe they met in a marketplace or they met outside a synagogue. We don't really know. It sounds like this guy was a slave or a freedman, but somehow they had met and this guy had such a warm place in Paul's heart because he was the first convert in all of Asia. What a story that they must have shared together. And then he goes on and he says, Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. It's amazing to me that I believe of the four women that are, uh, four of the women that are mentioned in this particular group of scriptures, of those four, it says they worked hard. The word worked hard here is a word that means strenuous effort. Sometimes it means work to exhaustion. And I, I was going to list people, but, but I thought, you know, if I do that, I'm going to miss people, and, and you always get in trouble. But we have numbers of, of women, ladies in our church, that work hard for us. They, they work their fingers to the bone, so to speak. 
They serve us. We don't always know what we do, we, the, what they do. We don't always see them at work. They work behind the scenes. I, I see maybe more than, than some of you do, but others of you probably see women at work that I don't know. But we don't know who this Mary is, but this church knew who she was. And he says, appreciate their work. Maybe she was like Dorcas, or, or who also was named Tabitha, and who was in Joppa, and she died. And the people of Joppa came to get Peter and said, Peter, you've got to come and pray for Dorcas because we need her because her good works are so well known in our church and our community and she can't die. Well, she's already dead. So the, Peter comes and I, I, must, I wonder what was going through some of their heads. Like, what was Peter thinking when he's coming up to Joppa and he knows they want him to pray for a dead woman? I don't know. I, I would be freaked out. I know God can do that. I know God can raise the dead because he's done it in Christ. And he's done it in me spiritually. And we have stories. But that's God doing it through Jesus. I'm just Paul. Anyhow, Peter trucks along and he raises her from the dead by the power of God. And she continues to serve the people. So maybe this is what Mary was like. She just served well in that church. And then he goes on and he talks about Adronicus and Junia. I believe this was another husband and wife team. It's wonderful to see husbands and wives work together in the work of the Lord. They, they, they find tasks that they can do together and they serve God. Maybe in the church, maybe out in the community, but they serve the Lord together. And I believe this is another husband and wife team serving the Lord together. Paul says of them that they were his kinsmen. That means they were Jews, probably Hellenistic Jews. And he knew them well. And he says of them, I think I got mixed up, didn't I? They're fellow prisoners. Didn't I say that of somebody else? Oh, they were fellow workers. Sorry. The first ones were fellow workers. Thank you. You're nodding at this guy. So they were fellow. These ones are fellow prisoners of Paul. And so they shared prison with him. He says, they are well known amongst the apostles. I think what that is a reference to is apostle small a. There, there are groups of apostles. There are the apostles that are the 12 apostles that were with Christ, that saw his ministry, that saw his death and his resurrection. And there are only 12 of them. But there are references to other people who also have the name or the designation apostles who have been sent ones. They have been sent out to minister, much like Josh and Jamie have been sent out by the church. And so he says of this couple, this, the service that they did was such a great service that they were well known among the apostles. And then he says this, they were in Christ before I was. There's a story there. I wonder if the story, and you know, there's no evidence for this or proof, but I just was wondering in my own mind if maybe the story began at Jerusalem at the first day of Pentecost after Christ was risen from the dead and the disciples had been praying and the whole room was shaken and the Holy Spirit fell and people were speaking in tongues and as they were speaking in tongues they were declaring the wonders of God in all the languages of people that were there and, and maybe and Junia had come to, to, the, to that celebration and they heard that first sermon of Peter and they were part of those, that first um, few thousand that became followers of Jesus and maybe they had a story to tell about how they had been changed by the gospel. They were in Christ before Paul. And then he goes on and he says, Greet Anphilius, Anphilatus, my beloved in the Lord. He doesn't say a lot more than that about him. That's all he says about him, my beloved in the Lord. Paul just loved this guy. 
we don't know what the, what the circumstances were about that. We don't know the nature of the relationship. But there was this deep bond of affection that Paul had for him. We go on and we see others that are mentioned here. Um, uh, we, we, we skip down. Let's go to Rufus in verse 13. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother who has been a mother to me as well. Rufus. I love that name. Maybe one of my grandchildren would be called Rufus. There's just something, I don't know, tough about it. Rufus. Anyhow, greet Rufus. Who is Rufus? Well, you know, most of the, the commentators um, strongly suggest that this Rufus is the son of Simon of Serene. And do you know who Simon of Serene was? Simon of Serene was the man who was called into duty to carry the cross of Jesus. And it says of Simon of Serene in Mark chapter 15, verse 21, that this Simon of Serene had two sons, Alexander and Rufus. And there's a strong um, sort of line of thinking that that Rufus was Simon of Serene's son. What a story he must have had. I'm sure his, if it is that, that young man, his father would have come home from that brutal day. His life changed forever. Shared what he saw, shared about Christ, shared about the crucifixion, and maybe the, the whole family came to believe in the Lord over a short period of time. And now Rufus is such a part of the church. Greet Rufus, he says. And I, 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 I so like this phrase. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Oh, the role of motherhood is such a huge role. And I am so thankful for the mothers in my life my own mother, who poured her life and her energy into me and my brother. To my wife, who has poured her life into our boys. But you know, I have a couple mothers outside of of my own mother who have poured their life into me. I remember when I um, left home as an 18-year-old boy, left Saskatchewan and came out to Victoria, knew really not what I was going to do, where I was going to work, and I wasn't following the Lord. And um, uh, a, a, a young man that I had been acquainted with when we were at the church in Victoria, somehow I connected with him, and he says, why don't you come live at our house? And for the next two years, I lived at his house, and his mom, Viola Smith, mothered me, cared for me, nurtured me, made my lunches, helped me with my laundry, just just mothered me. What a gift that was for me. And so here is Paul saying of Rufus's mother. Who knows the circumstances? Who knows what had taken place? But this deep affection that Paul has for Rufus's mother. There's others that we could look at, but you can look at those on your own. And what I want you to remember here, and it will maybe make sense as we bring it to a close, is that everyone has a spiritual story. Everyone uh, in, in Christ, everyone at the body of Christ, has something unique about them. And what I want to encourage us is, do you know those stories? 
See, that's when we come to this, the first of the three points that I want to conclude with. When we think about coming back together as the church of God, that we come back to a place where everybody is known. A place where everybody knows your name. And uh, (laughs) you guys know what I'm talking about, don't you? But there's some truth in that song, isn't there? And I, I, as I was reflecting about this, when you're anonymous, it's lonely to be anonymous. When nobody knows your name, by, when nobody knows anything about you, or where nothing about you stands out from anybody else, you're just another face in the crowd. Or as people say from time to time, you're just another number. But what I began to think about this list was that nobody was a number. That there was names attached to people, and attached to those names were individual things that marked those people out as unique and specific. And as I look out across the, uh, the church gathered here this morning, there's so many people that I would just love to mention your name and say, you know, do you know that this person does this, this, and this? And do you know that this person has worked well at this? And do you know that I... Co- at this? Because there's so much to be commended here. And it's attached to names. And so my challenge to, to you, if you're new, if you're old, if you've been here for a long time, if you've just been here for a short time, get to know a few people by name. Find a little out about their story. Maybe ask them how they came to Christ. Ask them how they came to this church. Ask them, just find out something of significance spiritually about them. Because everybody has a story. One of the things that we do, and I feel very embarrassed as I look out over the, the congregation this morning and I see them, but I don't have mine on, is the name tag. And um, <laughs> thanks, Keith. You don't have, oh, you do have yours on. Sorry, I saw it there. I, I, I often forget mine, and then I go to the gas station afterwards. And, Hi, Paul. Oh. <laughs> Anyhow, the names are great because um, I forget names, and I hope you bear with me. You might have introduced yourself to me a half a dozen times, and sometimes I just draw a blank, and I'd look at you, and I know I should know who you are, but it's gone. But when you got that name there, when you look away, I can, oh yeah, that's so and so. It's kind of obvious when you're talking to them, and you know you're, oh hi John, but nonetheless we have name tags. They're helpful. If you don't have one, you can fill out one of the cards in the back, and we'll get you a name tag. That's a way to start getting known. But just get to know a few people. You'll never know everybody, but you can know a few people. And get to know something individual about them that marks them out from other people. The second thing that I noticed about this list, and I hope it will be true of us, that the church was a place where everybody was commended for something. There are so many ways in which we can serve the Lord. And this is what I love about the bond of the family of God. And as I, as I looked at this, I was intrigued by it. Fellow prisoners, like a mother to me, worked hard in the Lord, well known amongst the apostles, or, or, or other words, missionaries, opened their homes, risked their lives, that there was something about this that gripped me. And what struck me was the camaraderie that existed. 
When you become a fellow prisoner with somebody, you develop a unique relationship with them. When you risk your life for somebody, there's a bond that attaches you to that person that is unique. When you work hard with somebody to set up Bethlehem Walk, you get to know them. You get to know their family. You get to know a little bit about them. When you serve together in the community for the gospel, there's a bond that grows. And so what I saw in this list was a camaraderie and a love and awareness of a shared purpose or task. And that shared purpose or task was something that was so much bigger than anything they could create or invent. It was the kingdom of God. It was the gospel of God. It was to see the gospel reach the nations and to see people come to faith in Christ. They worked together. They served together. They suffered together. They, 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 they were doing this for something that, was, that had captured their hearts. This is what I hope is true of all of us. Uh, what I hope and pray for this body of believers, that we quickly look beyond ourselves, that it's not about me, but it's about the kingdom of God. It's about the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that every one of us would find something for which we could be commended about as we serve and minister amongst the people of God. So the first point is, that we all be known. The second point is that we are devoted to something bigger than ourselves, the kingdom of God. And the final point is simply this, a place where what we have in common is Christ. You might have noticed this, and you on your own might want to go and circle these references in your Bible in Romans 3, uh, 16, 3 to 16, but how many references to Christ there are? My first convert to Christ, approved in Christ, beloved in Christ, um, in, in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it, it tells us that what, what bonded, what the, the glue that brought all these people together was their common reality of being in Christ. That is what sets us apart, loved ones, from any other organization, from any other group that meets. We are set apart by the fact that we are in Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have been embraced by the body of Christ. We have been saved by the work of Christ. We have been baptized in the body of, the, of Christ by the Spirit of God. We are in Christ. That's what sets us apart. John writes in... His gospel, abide in me, these are words of Jesus, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For, above, for apart from me, you can do nothing. That's our strength. That's our motivation. That's our purpose. That's our unity. We are in Christ. Beloved, as we continue to serve the Lord here and in our community, let us remember that we can only be effective as we are in the body, as we are connected to the vine, as we draw our strength from Christ. And so as we focus on the body today, remember we are not a nameless group of men and women, boys and girls, nor do we want to remain unidentified. We have names. I'm Paul. Get to know me. Get to know what separates me, Paul Hawks, from any other Paul in this church. 
And I would say that about each of you too. Share your name. Share something about you that sets you apart from everybody else that bears your name or not. The second thing is to remember that we are something much big, we are part of something much bigger than Parksville Fellowship Baptist Church. We are part of the kingdom of God. We have this vision to take this world by storm, to see the kingdom of God come to earth, to see the good. That's our task. And then thirdly, we are not our own. We're not kind of running all over the place, but rather we are tied together by the reality that we are in Christ. We are part of the same body. May we reflect on that even for a few moments as we now gather around the Lord's table. A reminder of how we became part of the body of Christ.